You're listening to Pastor Mike Greiner of Harvest Community Church in Catanning, Pennsylvania. We pray that you will be challenged today as you listen to a sermon entitled, The Happiness of God, recorded on September 2nd, 2018. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org. Let's join Pastor Mike as he preaches. Well, hello, everybody. Welcome to Harvest Community Church Labor Day weekend. If you're uh, visiting for the first time, right here in the room I'm in or in any other room in Pennsylvania or even in India, uh, welcome to Labor Day. My name is Mike, and um, Labor Day is is the last day to goof off. It's the worst-named holiday on the calendar, right? It should be called Goof Off Day. Um, So this is, uh, do we celebrate laborers or what do we do on Labor Day? I'm not really sure, but this is the end of the summer traditionally, which no one be sad, okay? No one be sad uh, because football begins and that's why God planned it so that we could have happiness. (laughs) This sermon is all about happiness. We are, this is our last parable sermon of the summer. God has uh, shown me a ton in the parables this summer. How about you? I've really benefited from this series. You know, I, I teach it, but that means I've got to go study it first before I can come talk about it. And uh, I've really been changed. And this week, um, I'm not telling you it's going to be the sermon you like the best, but it it is probably the one I like the best. So... Um, and maybe because of the subject. This parable is known as the prodigal son. Many of you have heard of it. Um, but it's preceded by two other parables, and there's no way to cut them out. They have to go together to get the full picture. So we're going to read Luke 15, starting in verse 1. If you have a Bible, open it. If you have a smartphone, open it. It's always good to have a Bible and take notes. I know we put the words on the wall. And I, by the way, there's been discussion about that. Other churches, they just put the citation on the wall in order to train their people to open their own Bibles. Um, I'm not against that. I think that's fine. But the way I look at it is kind of twofold. One, not everyone who comes into a church service can find anything in the Bible. If you're new to Christianity... You, it'll take you half the service to find something. Um, second, it, it brings an impact when we all see it together. And third, I'm figuring that if you love your Bible enough to open it, you can figure out how and when to open it for yourself. But I'm inviting you on this one. There's a lot of text. And uh, you, if you're an underliner or a circler or a writer, this is a good one because we've got a lot to look at. I'm going to start in verse 1. Now... The tax collectors and sinners, uh, those are kind of synonyms, all right? Tax collectors in those days were thieves. Uh, Some of you may think they are now. They're not now. The the people who pass the taxes might be thieves, but the collectors are just doing their job. The tax collectors and sinners were all drawing near to him, to hear him. So, So Jesus was talking and these people were coming to hear him. The Pharisees and scribes, these would be the religious folks. These are the church-going folks, the good folks, if you will. They, uh, the priests, the pastors, they grumbled, saying, this man receives sinners and eats with them. Right? He's, he's hanging out with, with the wrong people. 
Um, the religious folks are wondering about Jesus' holiness because of the company he keeps. It's not the, the, the most crazy idea in the world. You normally are like the people you hang out with. And they're saying, how could he be a holy man? He's given them all his attention. We're holy. Why doesn't he give us attention? Is almost implied. Knowing this, this is, this is the occasion that causes Jesus to tell the parable of the prodigal son and the two parables that are very short that come before it. And here we go. So he told them this parable. What man of you, having a hundred sheep, if he has lost one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the open country and go after the one that is lost until he finds it? And when he has found it, he lays it on his shoulders, rejoicing. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and his neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need no repentance. Note the the fact here that the focus is on the joy of the shepherd. He's very happy. He lost something and he found it. If you've ever lost something and got everyone in your house to look for it, Maybe you find it that day. Maybe you find it two days later. But whenever you find it, there is generally a celebration. Yay, we found it. It could be your keys. It could be the remote. There's a lot of joy when you find the remote. If it's been lost. The picture here is God finds the lost one. And heaven rejoices. And look at the next one. It's very similar meaning. What woman having ten silver coins. Notice in this, the men have the sheep and the women have the money. It doesn't seem fair, but that's the way it goes. Or what woman, having ten silver coins, if she loses one coin, does not light a lamp, sweep the house, and seek diligently until she finds it? And when she has found it, she calls together her friends and neighbors, saying, Rejoice with me, for I have found the coin that I had lost. Just so I tell you, there is joy before the angels of God over one sinner who repents. Again, same point, right? There's something lost. The person diligently seeks it because it belongs to him. And then when he or she finds it, comes back happy and says to his or her friends, come be happy with me because look, look what we found. And here it says the angels of God have joy. So with that, Boom, boom, now we get to the prodigal son. They come in a triplet because as we read through the prodigal son, what I'm asking you guys to do is pay close attention to how this third parable is like the first two. But I also want us to note how this third parable is not like him, the first two. How it adds way more detail. And, and we'll try to figure out why did Jesus tell those two parables And then this third one, just by looking at the content. So here's the parable for today. Again, same context. He's answering the Pharisees' question. Why does Jesus receive sinners? And Jesus said, There was a man who had two sons. And the younger of them said to his father, 
Father, give me the share of the property that's coming to me. And, and by the way, that would be a much smaller share. The older son gets everything. Um, he's over everything. But he still, he wants what's going to be his. And he divided his property between them. And not many days later, the younger son gathered all he had, and he took a journey into a far country. There, he squandered his property in reckless living. When he spent everything, a severe famine arose in that country. He was not planning ahead. And he began to be in need. So he went and he hired himself out to one of the citizens of that country who sent him into the fields to feed pigs. And he was longing to be fed with the pods that the pigs ate, but no one gave him anything. Verse 17, but when he came to himself, he said, How many of my father's hired servants have more than enough bread? But I perish here with hunger. I will arise, I will go to my father, I will say to him, Father, could you imagine having to say this to your dad, by the way? (laughs) Dad, remember all that money you gave me? Gone. I was partying. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. Treat me as one of your hired servants. I can't even go back as a son, but I know you hire people. Why not hire me? And he arose and he came to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. He felt compassion and he ran and embraced him and he kissed him. And the son said to him, he had his speech prepared, so he starts his speech. Father, I have sinned against heaven and before you I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. He couldn't even finish his speech. Look, his father jumps in. But the father said to his servants, Bring quickly the best robe, put it on him. Put a ring on his hand, put shoes on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Right? In in the days before refrigeration, that was happy, happy, happy words. Bring the calf and kill it and let us eat and celebrate. For this my son was dead and he is alive again. He was lost and he is found. And they began to celebrate. Are you seeing similarities from those other two parables yet? Now, his older son, this is brand new. There's no, this isn't in the other two parables. His older son was in the field. And as he came and drew near the house, he heard music and dancing. And he called one of the servants and asked, what do these things mean? What are these meant? And he said to him, your brother has come and your father has killed the fattened calf because he received him back safe and sound. But the older brother was angry and he refused to go to the party. His father came out and entreated him. But he answered and said, look, these many years I've served you. I've never disobeyed your command. I've never, he sang, been like my brother, taking all your stuff and just lost it on stupid living And you never gave me a young goat that I might celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours came, who has devoured your property with prostitutes, you killed a fattened calf for him. And the father said to him, Son, you're always with me. All that is mine is yours. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad. For this, your brother was dead and is alive. He was lost and is found. And that ends. You know, my mother, who's in heaven now, thank God she received Christ. uh, But one of her biggest barriers was this story that she learned as a girl. She never liked this story. 
because <laughs> she was always with the older brother. She's like, um, minded her of her sister, she told me, who got away with everything. She didn't, didn't see the fairness of it. So she needed to hear the speech to the older brother, but we'll get to that in the end. Right now, let's make some observations about this parable. Uh, we're starting our community groups. Hope you're in one. If not, please join one. If not, start one, and we'll help you do that. But uh, here's our first, it should be our first map point of, of our new community group semester, right? Or is that next week? Oh, that's next week. There's no map this week. Okay, if we had a map, thank you. I was wrong. I had the weeks wrong. What? Well, that last week we're outside. Um, this week, if we had a map, this would be your first point, but you don't. So I guess this is just a cue, important point here. Ready? The generous father did not value the wealth, but he valued his son. He didn't, he, the, the, the older boy is like, hey, look at what he squandered. The dad is like, I don't care. Look who I got. The younger son received and wasted. Now, we're normal people, right? I think normally we would really care if our children waste our wealth. However, anyone who's lost a child to drug addiction or some other kind of stupid living, and then that child comes back clean or alive, they say, I don't care what I lost, right? I got my child back. And that's what this father is like. He values the son, not the money. And this is what God is like towards you. You are his treasure. Do you know the whole earth will be subject to fire? All the great things you do on this earth and put your name on are going to burn, but you last forever if you know Christ. The first and second parable are just like this. What is it that 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 shepherd, when he went out, whose sheep was he looking for? His. He wasn't looking for new sheep. That sheep belongs to me. And because it belongs to me, I treasure it. The woman had 10 coins. She wasn't going to see how her investments did. She lost one of the coins, coins that she already had. It belongs to me. This man is my son, belongs to me. Push that, and you will find the Bible will hold this when I say to you, the reason God came and found you was because you belonged to him. And he, he was not happy that you were lost. But he sure was when you were found. Put it another way, Jesus looks for you. Most of you know Jesus, all right? Can I tell you something? Jesus looked for you. He went out and looked for you. He went out and found you. Think about your own, what you might call testimony or your story. And you remember your life story going here and there and everywhere. And then one moment or one period of time, all of a sudden it seemed like everything changed. Like God was on your tail, and you wanted him to catch you. Remember that? He looked for you. He wanted you. He valued you. You know, Jesus asked us as human beings, what does it profit a man to gain the whole world but to lose his soul? He wants us to think rationally, 
Reason this out. If you lose your soul, but you gain everything, what good is that? You're just another dead rich guy or gal. But if you keep your soul, you have eternal life. Well, I was thinking, let's turn that on to Jesus. And you know what I came up with? And I think the Bible will hold this too. Jesus gave up the whole world to gain you. He gave everything up. He came from heaven. He gave up that glory. He came to earth and took on the the body of a slave for him, a human body that can die and sleep. (laughs) And then he gave up all this life. He took no glory from this life. He didn't become a great king, a great general. He said, Satan, no, that's not why I'm here. He went before Pilate, and Pilate said, I'll let you free. He said, no, that's not why I'm here. Peter says, you can't die Far be it from you. And he said, get behind me, Satan. I came to give up everything. That's why I came. He lost the whole world for you. He laid down his life. No greater love has anyone than this, that he laid down his life for his friends. Jesus gave up everything. If someone brought to you a treasure and said, would you like this treasure? Today they bring it to you. And you go, what's it cost? Everything. What do you mean by everything? What do you have? And you start doing inventory of everything you have. And you say, okay, that's cool, treasure. I'll give you everything I have. Well, you didn't give me everything. Well, I gave you everything. No, what about your children? What about your life? What about the breath in your lungs? Well, it ain't worth that. Okay, so God says, one of these that is yours is lost. Jesus, what are you going to pay for it? I'll pay everything for her. That's what the parable's pointing to. Why did he do that? Because you belong to him. Jesus died on a cross for your sins because you belong to him. In all three parables, there's belonging. He's not finding what's not his. He's finding what's his. Now, this can cause us all kinds of theological problems as we think about how that practically works itself out. We're not going to think about all those things right now just for that reason. Who wants a bunch of theological problems in the middle of a sermon? We can talk about them later. But the biblical truth is, when he came, he knew who you were, he looked for you, he found you, and according to the Bible, he called you by name, and you came out. John, in John ten three, Jesus says, I am the good shepherd, and he says, the sheep hear his voice, talking about himself, he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. Out of what? The flock of the world. So isn't that good news? It's good to me. Okay, second thing I would like to point out, and if we had a map, this is what you would underline. So, important point here. The son was free and had to repent in order to return home. And repent doesn't mean you fix up everything in your life. It means you change your mind about everything in your life. Right? There's a difference. You don't have time to fix up everything in your life. He didn't go and make back the money so he could pay his father. But he changed his mind. That's what repentance is. What the Bible says is he came to himself. Sin causes us to lose our minds. Remember the last time you really pursued some sin, any sin, a big one, a small one, a medium-sized sin. Remember how you lost your mind? What were you thinking, you said later? 
I must have been out of my mind to go do that. Who's with me? Well, this guy's entire life was out of his mind. <laughs> he, he had a fine father and a great life, and he threw it all away. And the Bible says he came to himself. Then what did he do? He, 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 he looked at things honestly. When you come to yourself, it's not, he didn't think, how can I get over on my dad? Well, I'll go back. I'll start by being a servant. Eventually, he'll make me a foreman because I'm his son. Then I'll work my way into his good graces. No, that would not be coming to your senses. That's carrying on the game. No, he said, let's look at this honestly. Well, I'm an idiot. I squandered everything. I'm sitting here starving while pigs eat. Heck, if I was home, not as a son, just as an employee, at least I'd eat. What an idiot I am. I'm going to go back home, and I'm going to tell my dad, what have I got to lose? I'm a bad person, Dad. (laughs) I did bad things. Look, I know that I do not deserve to be your son, but can I just have a job? That's called repentance. Now, this is different than the two previous parables. The, The shepherd didn't ask the sheep to do anything. Sheep didn't do a thing. He was just found The woman didn't ask the coin (laughs) to do anything. It just laid wherever it was, probably, you know, in the couch cushions with with hair and little pieces of popcorn and nasty stuff that's back there. It's in your couch. You know it is. It just laid there. I, I, I think sometimes we can think that's, we can take grace wrong and think grace doesn't include repentance. Jesus died for my sins and my sins are gone and that's it. This is cool. That, that's like you just being the coin, just laying there. But now we're not dealing with a sheep or a coin. The third parable is about a real person. And people don't come to Christ like a coin. They have to make up their mind. We have to come to our senses. Keith Green and Randy Stonehill wrote a song, which I think is terrific, called um, Like Waking Up from the Longest Dream. I think it's called The Longest Dream. He talks about how coming to Christ for Keith Green was like waking up from a dream. You come to your senses. And you, to to get saved, another way to put it is, you you turn away from the truth. You, You see the truth of your sin and you turn away from it and you go home. You're going home. Come home, come home, you who are weary, come home. Earnestly, tenderly, Jesus is calling. (laughs) Thank you. That's my hymn sing. Calling poor sinner, come home. I think the way it really happens is you, you smell like a pig, you look like a pig, you're starving worse than a pig, and your hands are dirty, and you go, what the heck am I doing? Jesus did hang out with sinners to start this story. He received sinners, but they were coming to hear him. Some people make the sinner noble. The Christian who's so worldly, he goes, well, I'm not like those stuck-up Christians who only hang out with Christians. I hang out with sinners. Do you ever call them to repentance? No, I just accept them the way they are. I'm a grace man. Well, then they're going to hell with you as a buddy. Sinners had to repent. Jesus was receiving them, meaning they were coming to him to hear him speak. And if you 
Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the words of Christ. They were getting saved. Salvation means turning away from sin, going home to Jesus, and asking to be received. That's what repentance is. Have you repented? I'd assume most of you have, but maybe you're here and you say, maybe I haven't. You can go to church and not repent. I see those stories all the time. You've never turned away from your sin and come home. The people most likely to not repent are the big brothers because they think they're okay because they're better than you are. Well, if you're a big brother here and you could be a woman or a man in this one, it's time to repent. And that brings us to our third point here. The father taught the older brother that salvation is by grace, not law. That's a lot of theology. You say, wait, you read that? I didn't hear anything about grace and law. Yeah, it's in there. Look, by nature, all human beings believe in karma. You already believe in karma. Everyone believes in karma, right? Until God's dogma runs over your karma. (laughs) You're going to believe in it. You're going to believe if I do good, I should be rewarded. If I do bad, I should be punished. Little kids believe in it. That's not fair. I didn't do anything. Grown-ups believe in it. I found $100. Must be good living. We just believe God will be good to me if I do good. And it's wrong. It's wrong. If you think, if I behave, God will like me. I was thinking today, and this is a deep thought, and you can throw it away if it doesn't help you. Well, it's deep to me. Maybe it's not deep. I was thanking God for fear. For the first time ever. I hate fear. But then I realized if I was thinking, if you could take a pill that made no fear chemicals go off in your brain, you were never afraid ever, and I started thinking what I would be like, and you know what I figured? I'd be the most dangerous man in my life. You're not afraid of disappointing these people? What are you going to do? If you're not afraid of embarrassing yourself, what are you going to do? If you're not afraid of the pain and punishment of what you're about to do, what are you going to do? I'm a sinner. I'm a lousy, rotten sinner. There's no way I can behave good enough for a holy God. The older son was doing karma. He said, look, Dad, you're all happy that Mr. or my, my dirty little brother came home. I behave. What about me? This is my mom's problem. It's what she would bounce off of for years. What the father taught him was, I don't have that relationship with you. I don't have a relationship with you, son, where you, I'm, you think I'm being nice to you because you behave? That's in his words, because he says, everything I have is yours. What do you mean? It, it never, that was never in danger. You're my son. But the son was playing by different rules. He was playing by karma. I thought I'd get everything I get because I behave. No, you're the firstborn. You just get it. (laughs) I'm your dad. See, he's a good father. He's a generous father. And he reassures his son, just by virtue of being my son, you have my love and my life and all that I own. Because I'm your dad. I'll give you anything. And any dad here who's halfway decent thinks the same way. 
son didn't know it, but you know what he was thinking like? An employee. See, employees think the better they do and the harder they work, the more of the money they get from the boss. And there's people who approach God like that. And I think that's the natural way people approach God. If I do more than my dumb little brother, God's got to be better to me, as if he's obligated as your employer. But God never said he was your employer. He doesn't need you to get things done. He can get things done with a word from his own mouth. Really, as laborers, we need a lot of training. It's really not worth the investment. (laughs) He has angels who do things without complaining. He doesn't really need you. He doesn't really need me. God does not want a relationship with you and me where we act like employees to an employer. He wants a relationship with you and me where we act like sons and daughters to a daddy who's good to us. That's law versus grace. Law is I'm going to be good enough and you must take me. Grace is like it doesn't matter what a slob you are. You're my slob and I'll take care of the dirt. I'll clean you up. Jesus Christ died to take care of the dirt. The Pharisees might see themselves here, by the way. Right? If they're paying attention, I don't know if they're tracking with, with this parable. They don't have time to write it down and think about it. But if they are, they might see themselves. They might see that Jesus is saying, look, you got this all wrong, boys. You see me receiving sinners, and you think you're better than them. So you should be received first. You're missing the whole point. I'm not relating to them based on how they've behaved. I'm relating to them based on that I love them because they're mine. And I could relate to you that way too. It's called grace. Now you might want to judge the Pharisees, but we're the same. That tendency is in me. That tendency is in you. It's really hard. It's really hard not to think you're better than someone. It really is. In theory, it's not. But then if you start naming actual people, (laughs) it gets easy. We'll just go to the Catholic priests who raped boys. How about that? Are you better than them? Everyone says they're better than them. It's not hard. Do you think that's how it works? You're saved by grace, not law. The Bible says this in Romans 6, The wages of sin is death, but the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. Do you see the difference? Employers give wages. Fathers give gifts. Do you want God as your employer or as your father? Take choice two. Okay, the fourth point is there's a progression of joy in these three parables. Um, It's a little thing, but it's in there. There's a progression of joy. The joy starts here and it keeps moving up. Look, in the first parable, Jesus says this, just so I tell you there will be more joy where? In heaven! Over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who don't repent, who don't need to repent or think they don't. Who's rejoicing there? All of heaven, whatever that is, some general heaven. But in the second parable, it gets more specific. Just so I tell you, Jesus says, there is joy before the messengers of God or the angels of God over one sinner who repents. God finds the one sinner and he goes, look what I found. And all the angels go, yeah! And that's real joy. They're really happy. But in the final parable, it's not heaven or the angels that are the focus. Who's the focus of this final parable? But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him. 
Who's the happy one in this parable? Is it the older brother? No. Is it the younger brother? He's probably chipper, but it doesn't talk about his emotions. This is all about how the father feels. The father saw him and felt compassion. He ran. He embraced him. He kissed him. The father said to his servants, bring quickly the best robe and put it on him and put a ring on his hand and shoes on his feet and bring a fattened calf and let us eat and let us celebrate. In all three parables, the one who finds what is lost is happy. The, the shepherd finds what is lost. He doesn't go, oh, here's another nasty sinner. This one came down at the Billy Graham. It's about time. It's overdue. Come on, you nasty sinner. And the sinner is you on his shoulders going, thanks for taking me in. I know I stink. Yeah, you stink all right. Come on. We got another one. No, it says he put the sheep on his, it says he put it on his shoulders and he came back rejoicing. He was like, yes, got my dirty sheep. Woo! And the lady found my coin. Everybody. And the third one's the daddy. Third one's the daddy. And he's the happiest of all because he found the most valuable thing, a human being. So finally, each parable contains an invitation to a celebration. Did you see that? First, second, and third. First, second, and third. The, she- the, the shepherd says, come on, let's get happy. I found, that was a, man, I just had a Partridge Family moment. <laughs> you old timers, you're with me. I haven't said that, that line in, a, in years. Remember that one? Come on, let's get happy. Well, that was the shepherd. He was a partridge uh, family guy, apparently. Come on, let's get happy. He brings, he brings the sheep. The woman says, come on, let's all celebrate. And the father, he's the best. He throws a party with good food and music and dancing. The older brother wouldn't be happy. So what did the father do? Son. You're always with me. All that I, is mine is yours. This is why I have trouble when people say this has to be the Pharisees. This has to be someone who's saved to fit this parable. It was fitting to celebrate and be glad because your brother was dead and now he's alive. He was lost and is found. He actually teaches the older brother, you have a good reason to rejoice. Come on, let's go get some mutton or whatever they were. No, they were serving cow. Let's get some veal. Let's really make Peter mad and eat a baby cow. Come on. <laughs> Where's your sense of humor? What's Jesus' biggest point in this whole thing? I'm going to throw it at you. This is what I think is his biggest point. God's happiness should motivate the Pharisees to love sinners repenting. Now, I wouldn't say that off the cuff, so let me show you what I mean. He's telling the Pharisees these parables because they're not happy that sinners are getting saved. And he's, he says, well, let, wait a minute. You're not happy, but did you know that God is happy? Shepherds are happy when they find sheep. Ladies are happy when they find coins. And fathers are happy when they find their children. So his argument to the Pharisees is, God's happy. You're not happy. God is. And he's saying to the Pharisees, just like the father said to the oldest son, he's saying to the Pharisees, adjust your thinking. You need to check up from the neck up. You should be happy. Why? Because God's happy. 
If God's happy, be happy. He, don't try to rain on God's parades. All his parades are good parades. By extension then, thinking about us today, this is what blew me away studying this. Because every Christian, excuse me, i got to tie this. I don't know if some of you noticed it, but I almost tripped on it earlier. And I ignored it the whole time. But there's probably, I was thinking there's someone out here with OCD who's thinking, I can't pay attention if he doesn't tie that. Do you feel better? Yes. Here's the thing that blew me away. As I was, as I was thinking about that, I thought, there's a lot of reasons people want to evangelize. I want pe- to tell people Jesus Christ died for your sins, come believe in him, often because they're my family. And I think I want them to be in heaven. But there's also another thing, if I'm honest, I, I want them to stop treating me like I'm weird. And that's true. You, when you're into something, you want other people to be into it. And um, so those are good enough motives, I suppose. <laughs> Another is, is, well, God wants us to build his church, so let's do that. But I think a huge one is guilt. I think perhaps the number one motivation for most Christians telling other people the gospel is guilt if they don't. I'm such a jerk. I'm such a bad Christian. Why don't I tell them? Oh, maybe I'm not saved. You know, you sit and have fights with yourself, right? Can I get an amen from other Self-confessing. This is guilty evangelist anonymous, except if you're not anonymous. Go ahead. Can I get an amen if you've shared the gospel out of guilt? Amen? amen. Some of you wouldn't say it, but I saw, I saw that hand. I see that hand. And this blew me away. Jesus says there's a whole other motivation that you're missing. God's happiness should motivate evangelism. Well, that's a, if I see someone looking for their things they lost, and, and I know that we're all the, pretty much the same, I want to help them. If you see somebody outside looking on the ground, you say, what are you looking for? Oh, I lost one of my contact lenses. Don't you normally say, only a jerk says, stinks to be you. Most people go, dang, well, don't step on anything. Let's, and then they're down, and then the person looking starts to get embarrassed. So, no, 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 it's okay. No, you need this contact lens. We all join in looking. Why? I don't know why. It's the way we are. And then if somebody finds it, we go, aha, we found it. You give it back to, say, the lady. I'm making a lady this time. And she says, oh, you found it. And she's like happy. And then everybody's like, yay. They just had a happy moment in their day. What Jesus is saying is when you're out looking for sheep, you're out looking for God's possessions who are still lost. And it's, it's a happy thing to do And it's a happy thing to find them. And then when you say, oh, here's one, he's happy, and you be happy with them. Why do churches die? I think about that a lot. I'm actually trying to get another academic degree, which gets you nowhere in life. (laughs) I mean, for the degree's sake. But the learning hopefully helps you. But the whole point of this degree is why do churches die and how do you stop that and I was thinking through this I think a lot of churches die because they have the spirit of the older brother good Christians stop thinking about the people outside the door and you make them feel guilty but if you take the guilt away and see what's really happening they think well we're good Christians (laughs) and those people are kind of bad They don't even vote right. What's wrong with them? 
it's sometimes called the us for and no more tendency. Well, we'd bring them in, but they're not going to sing songs the way we do, and we'll have to change. We just really start to think God loves us because we're good Christians, and then they just start to die. They don't even know they're doing it. They never think that part of the joy that's supposed to happen inside of a, of a I was going to say inside of a church building, but it could be outside like we were last week. Wasn't that fun? It could be anywhere. When we gather in his name, part of the joy is the fact that the gospel we preach finds lost people, and that really makes dad happy. Really makes him happy. Harvest, we want it to thrive But it's not gonna unless we can remember that God has joy in sinners repenting. We say that that our our vision statement here is we, we exist to increase the health and size of God's church everywhere. And there's a biblical basis. God is building his church and nothing else on the planet lasts. And it should increase in health, constantly growing in love. But it also should increase in size because God is looking for lost people. And then we say that a healthy church is filled with disciples. And disciples are known to the degree that they do three things. Ready? Some of you may know this. Love one another. Who knows the next? Nobody? Nobody? Love one another? Who knows the second one? Walk with God. Who knows the third one? Seek the lost. They're on your bulletin. But I was thinking those three, maybe we should change it a little bit. Not don't change it, but it could be said, love one another. And then instead of seek the lost, say, seek the joy that comes from the lost being found. And then celebrate with God. Every event at Harvest is evangelical. There's a Beth Moore event coming up. I want every woman in the church to sign up and go. She's going to be preaching about the bride of Christ from Revelation and how it's a time to be happy and not sad. And I think that's perfect. But the reason I think every woman should go is because every woman has friends and family who don't know Jesus. And although we want to build up the Christian women who go, we really want you to take this opportunity to find women who, God, who belong to God, who are far and away out in the pig stuff. Go find one of your girlfriends and say, you remind me of a piggy. don't do that but you know what I mean go find one of your girlfriends or your your relatives and say come to this you'll like her and they probably will and they'll hear the gospel and some of them will get saved and God will have a party and you'll be happy everything we do at harvest we include the cross and the gospel for that reason we had our, our we had that great outdoor festival outdoor wasn't a festival what do we call it worship service and 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 i know not everyone could be there but a lot of people were there that's always the happiest service of the year and i don't know why we're just outside i think when you're outside and you're cooking food and you're baptizing folks it just reminds you It's really cool to have brothers and sisters who love Jesus, and it's really cool to be part of Jesus' family, and it's really cool to be saved, and I think I ought to just go ahead and be happy right now. 
Don't you? Isn't that the great service? All those things are true right now, except the food's not as good. I mean, donuts, cookies are okay. We need barbecue. We can do that. Spread the gospel, brothers and sisters. Invite people to church. When you say, well, I I tried to spread the gospel with my friend and I said something stupid and I wasn't sure I got it out right. I don't know what to do. Well, then invite them to church. Well, I don't know if they'll come to church. They're not saved. People say that. So, that's who we want. Bring them. Tell them we'll give them donuts. They'll hear the gospel. The reason to do it is our Father gets happy when we bring not coins and not sheep, but your siblings who you will be with forever and ever. They're out there suffering. They're your sisters and your brothers and they're screwing up their lives like you used to screw up yours and it hurts no matter what brave face they put on it. And God's looking for them and he wants you to go look for them too. Bring them home. Clean them up. God will be happy. That's why we do it. Thank you for listening to this sermon from Harvest Community Church. We invite you to join us at any one of our four campuses located in Catanning, Petrolia Valley, Indiana, and Freeport. For more information, check us out on the web at harvestpa.org.